Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirchner. This time in our long-form weekend podcast, Glenn runs down the legal stories of the week. First, Donald Trump said during Sean Hannity's interview, if he's elected, he'll be a dictator on day one. He's also making like a dictator to Judge Chutkin. Here's Glenn to explain. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to the weekend edition of Justice Matters, my audio podcast, where on the weekends we try to air things out a bit try to do a deep dive into some of the legal issues of the past week and look ahead to what next week might hold in store. And even though we have some really important, consequential, and positive news on the legal front, and that is Judge Tanya Chutkin's ruling that Donald Trump is not a king and a president can be held accountable for the crimes he commits while in office, We're going to do a bit of a deep dive into Judge Chutkin's ruling because Judge Chutkin rules. (laughs) I'm just saying. But I actually want to start with a brand new story about the same criminal case that Donald Trump is facing. That is his federal prosecution in Washington, D.C. for attempting to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. That trial is set to begin on March 4, but there's a brand new story and it involves Donald Trump trying his nefarious best, trying his unlevel best, trying his dictatorial best to put a stop to that trial date. Friends, I don't know how much media attention this story will get. It is based on just two sentences in a brand new court filing in his DC case by Donald Trump and his lawyers and friends, it is breathtaking and it is dark and it is dangerous and it is ominous. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Okay, that's a throwback to Lost in Space. And let me tell you, friends, if we don't try to inject a little bit of levity every now and then into this darkness, into the danger that Donald Trump poses to American democracy, you know, we may be in even bigger trouble. You know, a little bit of levity helps because there's so much desperation and depression and despondency and other D words that, you know, we have to find the lightness and the levity where we can. No, I'm not a comedian and I don't pretend to play one on TV, but, you know, I'm going to try to keep some balance in our podcast discussions and 
in my life because, you know, you've got to find the light and you've got to find the laughter. Because what we're going to talk about right now is dark and dangerous. So we're going to talk about Donald Trump first telling Sean Hannity that he will be a dictator on day one. Don't take my word for it. That's what Donald Trump told Hannity. He said Hannity tried to throw him a softball, a watermelon-sized softball. All he had to do was swing the bat and hit it. He said, and I'm paraphrasing now, you know, Mr. Trump, you don't intend to be a dictator. You don't intend to, you know, use the levers of government to punish your enemies. You don't intend to do anything illegal or words to that effect. And Donald Trump corrected him. He said, oh, I will be a dictator. But only on day one, only on day one will I be a dictator and act unlawfully, probably unconstitutionally, against the law, go after my enemies, close the borders, right? I will act in dictatorial fashion, but only on day one. The only lie he told their friends, and you can see it a mile away, is it ain't only gonna be on day one. It's gonna be on every damn day of his presidency. A presidency that I'm pleased to report will never come into existence. Can't predict that with certainty, but you've heard me say before, friends, I am not a gambling man. I am not a high roller. One dollar is my betting limit. I'll put the full buck on Donald Trump never regaining the reins of presidential power. And there are a lot of reasons I say that. But let's go back to Donald Trump's announcement that he will be a dictator on day one. You know, it's not a surprise that Donald Trump continues to pursue an American dictatorship. It's, it's what he has been pursuing for years now. He brought it to a head on January 6th. Unfortunately for him, he failed. He tried his unlevel best. He launched his angry mob on the U.S. Capitol to stop the certification of Joe Biden's win, but he lost. He lost, and his foot soldiers are now being imprisoned by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And he is criminally indicted four times over. Two of those cases directly involve his attempt to overthrow American democracy. But after he told Hannity that he will be a dictator on day one, he put something in a brand new court pleading that is breathtaking for this old prosecutor. Something in my 30 years as a prosecutor I never once saw, I never once heard anybody say in court or in a court filing, a motion, a pleading, never, never. Here is what he said, kind of following up on his promise to be a dictator on day one. Now, Judge Chutkin said Donald Trump can and will be prosecuted on the indictment in D.C. because he is not a king and there is no law, there is no precedent, and there is no constitutional provision saying a president has absolute immunity against prosecution, which only makes sense, right? Because if a president had absolute immunity from ever being prosecuted for his crimes, he could line up his political opponents and shoot them in the head. Done. 
right? I will never have to relinquish power. I keep doing away with my political opponents. And the courts, up to the Supreme Court, would rule that, yep, he's got absolute immunity. He can do it. In fact, he can criminally order the imprisonment of any Supreme Court justice with whom he disagrees. Why? Because he's president. He has absolute immunity, which is exactly why the Supreme Court will not help reinstall Donald Trump in power in any of their rulings. That's my prediction because they love, love, love their supreme status and they would be giving it away to Donald Trump if they decided a case in a way that facilitated his return to the White House, to presidential power. They ain't gonna do it because they love their supreme status. The Supremes, at least a block of them on the right, love being above the law, above the chief executive, above the president, and they will not be if they decide a case that helps Donald Trump return to the Oval Office. They ain't gonna do it. Trust me on that one, friends. So here is what Donald Trump and his lawyers just put in a new court filing after Judge Chutkin said he's not a king and he can be prosecuted. They are seeking a stay of the trial court proceedings in his DC case. In other words, they are asking the courts to immediately stop all proceedings in his DC trial case, which is scheduled to begin in March, because he now wants to appeal Judge Chutkin's ruling that he's not a king. He doesn't have absolute immunity against prosecution. And the law generally provides that if you're trying to appeal a ruling like that, a ruling that would be a case-ending ruling in the event you did actually have immunity, of course Trump doesn't, but if somebody actually did have immunity, well then they shouldn't be prosecuted. So the law has developed such that if you appeal what would have been a case-ending ruling if you had immunity, well then the trial court proceedings should stop. Now, I think we have to add into the mix that this is a frivolous motion that was brought by Trumps. And you can't, you shouldn't be able to use frivolous motions and appeal them endlessly to try to keep from ever having to go to trial. Keep seeking stays, pauses in your trial court case because you keep filing these appeals. But there is case law that supports the notion that there should be a stay while a defendant appeals what would have been a case-ending ruling. Gosh, I hope I am doing that issue justice in the way I'm explaining it, friends. I think we're already sort of halfway through a Team Justice Law School class on this one. Please bear with me, stick with me, because this is important and it's dangerous. So Donald Trump and his lawyers just filed a motion saying, okay, we want that stay. We want the trial court case, which is pending multiple deadlines now because motions are being filed and a jury will soon be selected, et cetera. So we want it to stop, 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 because I'm appealing this ruling, so everything must stop. But here's the kicker. They don't just file a motion seeking a stay, seeking a pause, saying everything should stop. They say, and I quote, as a result of these authorities, meaning the case law and the precedent that talks about how a stay should usually be granted, as a result of these authorities, all current deadlines must be held in abeyance, must stop, until, at a minimum, this motion, 
is resolved. That is the motion to stay the proceedings, to pause the proceedings. President Trump will proceed based on that understanding and the authority set forth herein, absent further order of the court. Let me translate that, friends, as his blood pressure rises. Let me translate that from legalese to English. Donald Trump not only said he will be a dictator on day one, should he be elected president again, he is now tipping a dictatorial toe. In fact, he is diving into a dictatorial pool with that assertion in this court filing because he just said, I don't care how the judge rules on this, this motion to pause the trial proceedings. I don't care. I'm not going to wait until the judge decides whether to grant this motion or deny this motion to pause, to stay my case in DC. I am acting as if the judge already has. So I am now being a dictator in my own criminal case. I'm not waiting for the court to rule and grant my motion or deny my motion. I am acting in the way I have chosen to act regardless of what the judge might say. I have decided what the law is and I am unilaterally acting as a dictator in my own case. And I will, in his words, proceed based on that understanding, my understanding that this case must be paused, it must be stayed, and I don't give a rat's ass what the judge says. I ain't waiting. All right, my jersey's coming out, friends. I'll take the boy out of jersey. But this is infuriating. This is dangerous. This is an aspiring dictator in the political arena announcing, I have now anointed myself a dictator in my criminal case. I will no longer wait for the judge's ruling. I will act unilaterally as if the judge has already ruled in my favor. Now, one, I can't wait. I can't wait for Jack Smith and Judge Chutkin's response to this, but we have to go back to something that we have talked about so many times. Because Donald Trump pushes and pushes and pushes the criminal envelope, the corruption envelope, envelope, the dictatorial envelope a little farther each time and each day. And the system lets him do it, lets him do it. Instead of applying the rule of law as it was intended to be applied. The law was intended to be applied as follows. If you are charged in a federal felony case, and there's clear and convincing evidence that you pose a danger to even a single person in the community, never mind the community at large, never mind society, never mind American democracy, if you pose a danger to just one person in the community, and there is clear and convincing evidence proving that, you are to be detained pending trial. Donald Trump should long ago have been detained pending trial. This is just more evidence of the need to detain Donald Trump because he has now announced he is a dictator in his own criminal case and he has announced there is some 
synergy, I think, between these two announcements that he will be a dictator on day one, if elected. And he continues to threaten witnesses and judges and prosecutors and family members of all of those folks with impunity. How can anybody with a straight face, anybody who is a fact-based person, say Donald Trump is not a danger to a single person, not a danger to the community, not a danger to society, not a danger to American democracy? Can't, you can't, you can't say it. You cannot say it, not coming from a place where you're making your decisions and your assertions based on fact. So yes, this is dark. And yes, this is dangerous. And I once again will say, I hope the rule of law and the good people of the institutions of government who are responsible for applying the rule of law equally, without fear, without favor, without privilege or special status for somebody just because they used to hold a public office or are seeking public office again, I hope the rule of law is applied as it was intended to be applied to Donald Trump, and he is detained pending trial. Because justice matters. Coming up, Glenn reads a few quotes from Judge Chutkin's ruling on why Donald Trump is not immune from prosecution. That's next on Justice Matters. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. In Trump's D.C. election interference case, Judge Chutkin has ruled that presidents are not kings and therefore do not have absolute immunity from prosecution. Glenn says her work is masterful and inspirational. Okay, friends, now we are going to push our way through the dark cloud, the big dark orange cloud, and we're going to talk about that silver lining. Because Judge Chutkin's 48-page written opinion, her ruling in the case of United States versus Donald Trump, in which he is charged for trying to overturn our free and fair presidential election, is literally one for the history books. When I say literally one for the history books, this is the first time a federal judge, a federal court, has ever had to rule on whether a former president of the United States is absolutely immune against prosecution for his crimes. Now, 
She makes clear in this ruling, Donald Trump is not asking for a fair opportunity to defend against the crimes. He is asking for a get out of jail free card for his crimes. He seems to think that's what our constitution, that's what our rule of law contemplates, that a president can line up his political opponents, shoot them in the head, thereby retain presidential power, and he may not be prosecuted for those crimes. Yeah, Judge Chutkin had a little something to say about that. And can I urge you all, friends, usually when you read rulings, lengthy rulings from federal judges, it's a wonderful cure for insomnia, but not Judge Chutkin's ruling. It sings, and I don't often say that about legal opinions, but I would urge everybody, everybody to please call it up online. It's available everywhere and read it because it is a document that will go down in history as an enormously consequential legal ruling that announces to the world that we are not a banana republic. We are not a dictatorship. We are not an autocracy. We're a democracy. We are a people who are governed by the rule of law, not by the rule of power or privilege or status or office, but we're governed by the rule of law. Here is the opening salvo from Judge Chutkin's memorandum opinion in the case of United States of America versus Donald Trump defendant. The United States has charged former President Donald Trump with four counts of criminal conduct that he allegedly committed during the waning days of his presidency. He, Trump, has moved to dismiss the charges against him based on presidential immunity and on constitutional grounds. For the reasons set forth below, the court will deny both motions. And friends, as I say, please, I urge you to read these 48 pages. You will not be disappointed. I'm going to quote just a few of the portions that I've highlighted. I don't want to turn this into, um, you know, a lengthy reading of Judge Chutkin's. Okay, I just lied. I do want to turn this into a lengthy reading of Judge Chutkin's written opinion because it's, it's masterful and it's inspirational and it will give you constitutional goosebumps if you care about the health and the viability of our democracy and if you value the importance of the rule of law being applied equally to all people. Here are just a few choice quotes from Judge Chutkin's ruling. Criminal conduct is not part of the necessary functions performed by public officials. By definition, the president's duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed does not grant special latitude to violate them. The possibility of future criminal liability might encourage the kind of sober reflection that would reinforce rather than defeat important constitutional values. If the specter of subsequent prosecution encourages a sitting president to reconsider before deciding to act with criminal intent, that is a benefit, not a defect. Judge Chutkin goes on to say, every president will face difficult decisions. 
whether to intentionally commit a federal crime should not be one of them. And let me go with just one final quote. I'm going to try to control myself because I want to read so many passages of this opinion. But let me finish with this one. If one man can be allowed to determine for himself what law is, every man can. That means first chaos, then tyranny. And friends, we've been living with the chaos part for years, certainly since Trump was elected in 2016. You know, it reached its zenith, its pinnacle in the run-up to and on January 6th. We have been living with the first part, chaos, for a very long time. And Donald Trump has been marching the country in the direction of tyranny every damn day. He told us, friends, he will be a dictator on day one. And he has now anointed himself a dictator in his criminal prosecution in Washington, D.C. Well, Judge Chutkin has set a filing deadline for Sunday to have Jack Smith respond to Donald Trump's announcement that he will now be a dictator in his own criminal case and will no longer await rulings of the court before he acts. And then we will hear from Judge Chutkin. And I'll say it one more time, at the risk of repeating myself endlessly, that the rule of law has a solution for Donald Trump. It's called pretrial detention. On the way, it seems more guilty pleas are coming in the Georgia RICO case. Glenn gives us the details next on Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now know that former Vice President Mike Pence is on the prosecution's witness list in Trump's Georgia State RICO case. Glenn says Mike Pence's testimony will bring the criminal heat to Donald Trump. Okay, friends, let's turn our attention down to Georgia, where there have been a number of developments in Donald Trump's RICO prosecution for violating any number of Georgia state election laws. And as you know, Donald Trump and 18 of his criminal associates, his co-conspirators, have been charged. They are now formally his co-defendants. 19 of them total were indicted. Four have already pleaded guilty, flipped, and agreed to cooperate and testify truthfully about Donald Trump 
and the remaining co-defendants. So that leaves 15. And there has been some discussion about when the first trial date down in Georgia might be, because there hasn't been a trial yet. There have been four guilty pleas, but no trial yet. And there was some reporting about District Attorney Fonnie Willis and her team of prosecutors asking for an August 5th trial date from the presiding judge, Judge McAfee. There was also some additional reporting that indicated that Fonnie Willis said to Judge McAfee, communicated to Judge McAfee, but maybe you can hold off setting any other deadlines for motions, hearings, and that sort of thing because we are anticipating some more guilty pleas. Ooh, that's going to leave a mark. That sounds ominous for the defendants. But again, it's entirely expected because that's the way these RICO cases go. I've probably mentioned before that I was involved in a RICO case in Washington, D.C., where we indicted more than two dozen defendants, all but 13 pleaded guilty. And we then went to trial in three waves, three trials, separate trials, but of the same conspiracy, the same RICO gang. And we tried six defendants in the first trial, six defendants in the second trial, and one defendant, because there were 13, and in the courts of the district court in D.C., the U.S. Marshals have long held and informed the judges, the courts, that they can only provide adequate security for six defendants at a time. So we had to do six. Three of my colleagues did the first six. I did the second six with some of my fellow prosecutors on the team. And then I did the third trial with a fellow prosecutor, one of my dear friends. And we had to do a third RICO trial against just one defendant because we couldn't squeeze that defendant into one of the other two trials because the U.S. Marshals said, look, Glenn, Six is our max because the U.S. Marshals have to provide lots of courtroom security, security for the judge and the judge's staff, security for the jurors, security for the defense attorneys and the defendants, security for the prosecutors, and security for the audience. And that's a lot of security provided by the U.S. Marshals. So six defendants is the limit, and the courts always abide by that, at least the federal court in Washington, D.C. and the other jurisdictions, they may have other security rules, I'm not sure. And the case that I was involved in had the added challenge of being a case against an extraordinarily violent RICO organization that killed witnesses, killed its own gang members, RICO gang members, when they tried to leave the gang. Because if you leave the criminal organization, the criminal enterprise, then there is a risk you might flip you might cooperate with authorities. So there was testimony during the case from a cooperating witness who was a former member of the RICO crew. And he said, oh, no, 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 leaving the crew equaled death, period. That's a quote. So our jury, a jury in the case was anonymous. We didn't know their names. They were bussed in from an undisclosed location every day. It was a six month long trial, the one against the six defendants. They were bussed in from an undisclosed location every day by the U.S. Marshals. They were bussed back out at the end of every trial day by the U.S. Marshals, again, to an undisclosed location. As I say, they were anonymous. We were in what used to be the secure courtroom in 
federal court in Washington, D.C. I think they have since dismantled it, but it had bulletproof glass separating the audience from the well of the court where we were, where the parties were and the juror, jury was. And that, that bulletproof glass went virtually up to the ceiling or it was very, very high. And the defendants were ordered to wear stun belts under their suits because of the extreme risk that these defendants posed to everybody. Notwithstanding that, they actually still got to some of the anonymous jurors during the course of the trial, and those jurors had to be excused, and alternates had to be substituted mid-trial. Boy, the stories that we have about that series of RICO trials, I think it was the largest RICO trial ever brought in federal district court in Washington, D.C., though probably elsewhere in the country, federal prosecutors handled larger RICO cases, but this was quite an undertaking. It consumed several years of my professional life as a prosecutor. So getting back on track, I, so I, I feel like I have some understanding of how these RICO cases proceed and the challenges that they present, just given the sheer number of defendants that prosecutors often contend with. And here are some of the developments that we learned about what's going on in that Georgia case. So first of all, it does seem like we may have an August trial date. Don't know yet because Judge McAfee hasn't set a trial date, but that is the first trial date Fonnie Willis is seeking. And we don't know precisely how many or which defendants she might want to include in that first trial, how she will batch together some of the RICO defendants who are indicted in the case. Hopefully we're gonna hear more about that soon. But the other really wonderful development that we saw in recent days is there was reporting about the prosecution's witness list, who some of the people, the prosecutors in Georgia, intend to call to testify against Donald Trump and the other co-conspirators. And this doesn't come as a surprise, but it was nice to see it reported in any event. One of the prosecution witnesses, one of the witnesses who will testify against Donald Trump in Georgia, Mike Pence. Former Vice President Mike Pence, Donald Trump's former right-hand man who Donald Trump wanted his supporters to hang on January 6th, setting that aside for a moment, Republican politician Mike Pence will apparently be called as a witness against Donald Trump. And as I say, that's not unexpected, but let's talk about just one aspect of the incriminating evidence that Mike Pence can provide, and I'm quite sure will provide, against Donald Trump at trial. As you may know, friends, anytime prosecutors are trying to prove a crime against an indicted defendant, you have to prove that the defendant committed a criminal act and that the criminal act was accompanied by criminal intent. Let me use a basic example. If I am running down a metro platform or a subway platform or a train platform because I'm trying to jump into a train before the doors close and I knock somebody over in the process, that could either be an assault because an unconsented to touching is an assault more accurately, it's a battery 
if you really want to get down into the weeds of assault and battery. Battery is an unconsented to touching. There is no need for injury to result. Just if you touch somebody and they haven't consented to that touching, that's a battery. An assault is technically, now different jurisdictions define the law differently, an assault is an imminent fear or a fear of an imminent battery. So assault is like you wind up like you're going to punch somebody, but you, you know, don't hit them at the last minute, but they were in fear of an imminent battery. That's an assault, at least under the laws of the District of Columbia. So going back to my hypothetical, if I bang into somebody trying to run to catch a train, it feels like it could be a criminal act, right? It's an unconsented to touching, but was it accompanied by criminal intent to batter them, to assault them, to hurt them, to attack them? Probably not. So what is it? More of an accident, right? Didn't intend to do it. I didn't have criminal intent when I inadvertently bumped into that person. So I use that example just to prove the point that you need a criminal act, but it needs to be accompanied by criminal assault. I'm not gonna get into recklessness and negligence and gross negligence, that's kind of beyond the scope of our discussion here. But here is why Mike Pence's testimony, just in this one regard that we're gonna discuss, is so dang incriminating, sharply incriminating, deeply damaging to Donald Trump. Some of Mike Pence's testimony, and we know this not because we've seen Mike Pence's grand jury transcript, but because he went out and gave media interviews and wrote a book, which relatively few people purchased, I believe. I haven't looked at the numbers recently. So he disclosed a lot of this information himself. He said that Donald Trump waged a relentless pressure campaign trying to get him, Pence, to violate the law, specifically the Electoral Count Act, by refusing to count the electoral votes on January 6th, as the law provides he must do, and certifying the winner, certifying the results. And Joe Biden obviously was the winner of the presidential election in 2020. Donald Trump relentlessly pressured Mike Pence to violate the law, to violate the Electoral Count Act. Oh, a little bit of coffee, friends. So that is a criminal act, urging another government official to violate the law, with the goal being to keep Donald Trump in power unlawfully and unconstitutionally and contrary to the expressed will of the American voters. But here is, frankly, even the more important part, the intent. What was Donald Trump's intent? Well, Mike Pence said, when I made it clear, I wish I could do a Pence impersonation. I can't do impersonations or impressions. Oh, how I wish I could. When I made it clear to Donald Trump that I couldn't go along with his criminal scheme, I couldn't violate the Electoral Count Act, I couldn't refuse to certify the results of the election, I would have violated the law. When I made it clear I wouldn't join Donald Trump's criminal scheme. You know what he said to me? He said to me, Mike, you know what your problem is? You're too honest. Friends, that is evidentiary gold. Why? Because that statement takes us inside Donald Trump's head. Not a fun place to be. We're going to get out of there soon. 
but it takes us into his thought process and what it proves compellingly, beyond the reasonable doubt. What it proves is that Donald Trump's intent was criminal, guilty state of mind, corrupt mens rea because he knew that what he was asking Mike Pence to do called for dishonesty. And that's why he told him, oh, you won't do what I'm telling you to do? Install me into the presidency for a second term contrary to the will of the American voters? Your problem is you're too honest. In other words, damn it, Mike, you need to commit this crime for me. Evidentiary gold, friends. Evidentiary gold. So the fact that Mike Pence is now on the prosecution witness list and will testify against Donald Trump in the Georgia State RICO prosecution is a beautiful thing. On the way, Glenn reads part of the new court filing by special counsel Jack Smith, where he explains he'll use Trump's own words against him. That's next on Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Prosecutors with Jack Smith's team have revealed they have proof that an agent for Donald Trump tried to cause a riot at the Detroit, Michigan Vote Counting Center during the 2020 election. Glenn says this co-conspirator statement will actually be incriminating evidence at Trump's criminal trial in Washington, D.C. Okay, friends, let's tackle one more relatively quick story because it's actually a good development, a good evidentiary development in Donald Trump's prosecution in D.C., and it comes from a new Jack Smith court filing from just a couple of days ago. The court filing is titled government, that means prosecutors, government's notice pursuant to federal rule of evidence 404B. Okay, so the first question is, Glenn, what is federal rule of evidence 404B? Well, let's do another quick Team Justice Law School class. 404B is a rule of evidence that says you can't introduce at trial uncharged misconduct. In other words, you can't present to the jury evidence that the defendant committed other crimes other than the ones that are actually charged in the indictment in the case. Why? Well, because you call that propensity evidence. You're just trying to dirty up the defendant by showing that he has a propensity to commit crime, to do bad stuff. Therefore, you can only introduce evidence 
in support of the crimes that are charged, not evidence of uncharged misconduct. That's the rule, but there are several exceptions. The exceptions are, if the uncharged misconduct proves something material to the charged conduct, like motive, intent, knowledge, absence of accident, common plan or scheme, etc., then the judge might rule you can introduce evidence of uncharged misconduct. And let me give you a real-world example, because that probably wasn't the best explanation ever of 404B evidence. Let's assume that I decided I'm going to rob a bank, and I get my buddy to be my co-conspirator, and about a week before we're going to rob the bank, we are out in my driveway talking about our plans to rob the bank, and my neighbor overhears us talking about our plans to rob the bank. And then a week later, sure enough, my buddy and I, my co-conspirator and I robbed the bank. We are not very good criminals, so we get caught, we get arrested, we get locked up, we get indicted, and we are going to trial. Well, it turns out that a week before the bank robbery, when I was standing in my driveway talking to my buddy, my co-conspirator, and my neighbor was listening, I realized my neighbor was listening. So later that day, Again, still a week before the bank robbery, I went to my neighbor's house and I assaulted him. I beat him up. I said, I know you heard what we were talking about. If you want some more beating where this one came from, then you better keep your mouth quiet. I tried to deter, dissuade my neighbor from reporting to the authorities that he heard us talking about our plan to rob a bank. But at the trial, I'm not charged with assaulting my neighbor a week before the bank robbery. That's not part of the criminal charges. I'm charged with conspiring to rob a bank and robbing a bank. But the prosecutors want to introduce evidence of my uncharged misconduct, assaulting my neighbor to try to keep him quiet, right? That is relevant to the evidence that I conspired to and robbed the bank, even if it's uncharged in the case. I hope that makes it a little bit clearer what 404B evidence is, evidence of uncharged misconduct that might be relevant to the indicted charges such that it can be introduced at trial. So against that backdrop, I promised this one was going to be short, and now I did not fulfill that promise. But let's talk about this new motion filed by Jack Smith. In the motion, he says a lot of stuff that's unsurprising. It's good, but it's unsurprising. He says, look, we're going to introduce all kinds of statements that Donald Trump made about other bad acts, other bad stuff he did or advocated for in the election arena, dating all the way back to 2012 and 2016 and post-dating the January 6th election. Lots of statements that might constitute misconduct, but they are relevant to proving the charged crimes. And that part was entirely expected, but there's something buried in the middle of this nine-page court filing that I hadn't heard before and that I think is really important. Here's what it is. Let me just read a couple of sentences from this Jack Smith court filing. The prosecutors plan to introduce evidence 
of an effort undertaken by an agent and unindicted co-conspirator of Donald Trump. Okay, so they're going to introduce evidence about some effort undertaken by one of Trump's co-conspirators who worked for the Trump campaign. And they call this co-conspirator, this Trump agent, a quote, campaign employee. That's the designation they use in the motion. They don't name the person. But they say this Trump campaign employee, this co-conspirator of Donald Trump's, immediately following the election on November 4, 2020, tried to obstruct the vote count in Michigan. Okay, let me circle back. A Trump co-conspirator who was a campaign employee immediately following the election tried to obstruct the vote count in Michigan. Here's how. On November 4, 2020, this campaign employee, this Trump co-conspirator, exchanged a series of text messages with an attorney supporting the Trump campaign's election day operations at the TCF Center in Detroit where the votes were being counted. So what we now know is one of Trump's co-conspirators, a campaign employee, and another Trump campaign election day operation worker in Detroit on November 4, the day after the election, they were in Detroit at the location, the TCF Center, where the votes were being counted. And these two people, the Trump co-conspirator and the Trump attorney, were exchanging text messages. And in the text message, the Trump campaign employee, Trump's co-conspirator, encouraged rioting and other methods of obstruction when he learned that the vote count was trending in Joe Biden's favor. Oof, okay. So a Trump co-conspirator campaign employee and another person who's described as a, an attorney supporting the Trump campaign's efforts in Detroit that day were texting back and forth about, oh my goodness, Joe Biden, it looks like he's pulling into the lead. We have to start a riot. We have to start a riot in the TCF Center in Detroit where the votes are being counted. And frankly, a riot began to <laughs> assemble and assert itself. But here is why. This exchange of text messages in real time, trying to create a riot to stop the vote count. Why does that sound familiar? January 6th calling. They did it again out in Detroit. Here's why it's so important. You might say, well, Glenn, these text messages, these statements, these communications didn't involve Donald Trump. They involved one of his co-conspirators, a Trump campaign employee, and this Trump attorney who was out there in Detroit. How does it incriminate Donald Trump? Here is the beauty of co-conspirator liability, friends, and the rules of evidence when it comes to co-conspirator statements. Bear with me here. We as a society have decided that conspiracies are really dangerous because when people get together and agree to commit crime, it's more dangerous than just one person going out and committing crime on their own. So co-conspirator liability, first of all, says that whatever crime is committed by any co-conspirator, every single other co-conspirator is guilty of that crime, whether they personally participated in it or not. Why? Because you signed up for the criminal agreement, so you signed up for the consequences. Sorry about your luck, sport. But even beyond co-conspirator liability, that principle we just discussed, 
There's a rule of evidence that says co-conspirator statements, like the one made by this Trump campaign employee who Jack Smith says is a Trump co-conspirator, co-conspirator statements, if they're made during the course of and in furtherance of the conspiracy, they are admissible as evidence of crime against all of the members of the conspiracy. So even though Donald Trump wasn't on that text message string, that's evidence of guilt that can be introduced against Donald Trump at his trial in DC, those co-conspirator statements. Friends, the evidence is mountainous. It is mountainous against Donald Trump. He has no defense. He has nowhere to run. He has nowhere to hide, which is probably why he's now asserting himself as a dictator in the legal arena, as we discussed earlier, saying, I'm not waiting for the judge's ruling anymore. I am acting the way I have decided I will act, notwithstanding the judge's rulings or lack thereof. The only way he can avoid accountability is if he tries to defy the courts. Of course, he will have to flee the country to do that. Or if he can get Supreme Court buy-in to put a stop to his trial in D.C., I predict he will not succeed in doing either of those two things. He will go to trial beginning on March 4th. Now, let me tell you, it could be delayed a little bit. Could be later in March, could be April. He will go to trial in Washington, D.C. He will be convicted so fast it will make his head spin. Why? Because the evidence of his guilt is overwhelming and he has no defense. And Judge Chutkin will then sentence him to a period of incarceration, to prison, and will order him to report to the Federal Bureau of Prisons to serve what will be a very lengthy prison term. Because justice matters. Friends, as always, thank you for tuning in to the long-form podcast on the weekend. You can find me elsewhere across social media platforms on Twitter or X, I don't like calling it X, on threads, on Facebook, on Instagram. I am Glenn Kirshner 2 my name and the number 2. And then you can find me not only wherever you generally find your audio podcasts, because we post during the week as well, not just on the weekends. You can also find me on my YouTube channel, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner, where I post a daily legal analysis video. And if you go to YouTube, can I ask you respectfully to hit subscribe? It's always free and you know the subscriber numbers certainly help what is our all-volunteer endeavor here at Justice Matters. And then finally, if you are interested in more formally supporting our all-volunteer efforts, our mission, our content, you can go over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron and uh, support our Team Justice efforts. You get all kinds of behind-the-scenes looks at what we do here. I send you Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks. And as always, thank you to the many of you who are supporting our efforts and our operations here by joining Patreon. We couldn't do it without you. So thank you, friends. And as always, please stay safe. Please stay tuned. And I look forward to talking with you all again soon.